When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a special presentation of the Decibel Geek Podcast. A behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite records, the stories behind the songwriting as well as the recording circumstances, broken down for you and explained by a key player in the album's creation. Track by track, memory by memory, this is Albums Unleashed. Motley Crue's Motley Crue with John Karabi, part one. All right, welcome back once again. Yes, it's Monday. What a beautiful day. See, finally a reason to love Monday again, and that reason is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Oh, yeah, we're ready to rock your socks off today. My name is Aaron Camaro. Right over there, that's Chris Sinzak. How's it going, my man? Much better than last week. I'm, yeah, I'm you're recovered. Sounding, you're sounding better. You're looking better. Yeah. I mean, we're ready to kick some ass today. The snot is gone. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just in time for something we're way overdue on doing, another album's unleashed. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, God bless Dick Wagner for helping us yes. come up with this idea because without him, there would be no albums unleashed. It was created with the idea in mind that we need to get Dick Wagner back on the show. How can we do it? And then once we did, we said, this is something we need to explore time and time again. Yeah. And when we talked about it, we each had a bucket list of albums that we wanted to do. And today we're going to we're going to check one off the bucket list because we're going to be talking about the 1994 self-titled album by Motley Crue. Yeah, and the Dick Wagner one last time was pretty long. Um, this one's even longer, so it's actually necessitated doing it in two parts because well, you know that's us we're the decibel geek right. podcast when we you can ask you can ask anybody we've talked to anybody we've actually sat down and talked to live you know on the phone it's a little bit different but when you're doing it in person you can ask anybody they'll tell you i forgot there was a recorder there yeah because we're not interviewing these guys we're having a conversation about rock and roll history yeah and the, so this week's guest is is you already know because i've teased it all through the week yeah is uh john karabi and uh this is this album has been high on our list forever and yeah as promised last to, week been trying to get john on the show for a long time and uh thankfully he did it we'll get into why we you know we chose this album and everything when we get into talking with him but uh i we're not going to get into geeks of the week this week or next because this is a kind of a special situation we have right. a lot to get to yeah because you know as we do as you know if you've been listening all along when we do interviews like i said they're not really interviews they're more like conversations you can't put a time limit on a conversation because it's going to go where it wants to go, and yeah. it's going to last as long as it wants to last. And this one wanted to last quite a while, it which did. is which is great for us, even better for you, the listener. Yeah, and you'll hear us. We're, we're basically sitting with John at a table, and with John and his friend David and somebody else, um, in a back room in a bar in East Nashville. And I have That's to, the trick. Make them feel comfortable. Yeah. Give, them, give them a couple of drinks. Let them chill. Let them yeah. see us drinking a couple yeah, of beers. Yeah, we all had a couple you know? of drinks that yeah. night. And, um it's a loose atmosphere, and I want to go ahead and thank David Stonitz, John's one of John's very good friends, for helping get John on the show. David's been a listener to the show for over three years, yeah. so uh, it, this would not have happened without his help. That he, guy's he pretty a, pretty awesome for a Bears fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm running into all kinds of Bears fans here lately. You What's are. going on? They're trying to convert you, I guess. Jeez, never going to happen. I'm sticking with the Chiefs. But, uh, yeah, so J David helped uh, hook this up, and then after John left, we hung out with David for a long time, too. Yeah, David, so. I think Kristen was her name, and we yeah. hung out and had an awesome conversation conversation about music so yeah but i mean so much to get to this week we're we promise we'll get back to geeks of the week we just ain't got time for it this week we got to get right to the business and that business is albums unleashed
unleashed. Yeah, and the, so we really want to get the word out about this because we're real proud of how this conversation turned out. So if you share this on Facebook and retweet it on Twitter, at the end of the two weeks, I will take all of those and I will name all of you guys off on the thing. So make me regret this. Yeah, that's going to be a whole episode in unto I know. itself. I'll have to maybe do a whole <laughs> bonus track just on Geeks of the Week. But yeah, make me regret this. Let's get as many shares and retweets out as we can about this because you guys that love the show... We want to get the word out because we're real proud of this one. And we also want to help promote John's upcoming tour where he's going to yeah. be playing this entire album in full. And we'll get into that, all the details on that soon. Too. And make sure you stick around for episode 166 entitled Chris we- Reed's Geeks, Geeks of, of the Week. week. <laughs> yeah, a whole hour. That'll be fun for everybody, won't it? All right. So uh, let's not beat around the bush any longer. Let's, uh, let's get to this. Let's do it. This is our conversation with John Karabi. This has been three years in the making. We're trying to get you on the show for a long I'm time. sorry. It's, it's taken so long. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Well, we had the idea a while no, back. To, you, and you know what? You guys live here. Yeah. Like David, David knows. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm here today. Uh, we just took a vacation, and then I went and did some shows in Florida. Yeah. I was in Florida for vacation, came home, went right back again for some shows, and I'm leaving tomorrow for, like, I'll be gone... Uh, seven days yeah doing shows so I'm, I'm never home but that's the normal schedule yeah. for you really yeah. isn't it it kind of is it's yeah. a little weird that's what we figured and you have right, let's get this bitch started let's okay. go okay. come on now so i thought we would have you on to talk about an album that no one ever asked you about <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty much anything i've ever done oh uh, well when we started doing the albums unleashed thing you know we had a, a handful of ideas we said you know we'd love to do sit down with somebody of an album that we really really like and sit down and be able to go through track by track and get the inside story of it. okay and motley Crue's 94 album was on top of both of our lists yeah. you know to me i think motley Crue 94 is probably one of the most underrated albums of all time i ain't no joke without all question. time without question and and this is We've, we've done one Albums Unleashed. We did it with Dick Wagner, rest in peace. It was not long before he yeah. passed away. We did it for the Alice Cooper Dada album, um, another underrated album. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've had fans that have emailed into the show going, get get the Motley Crue 94 album, get John Karabi to talk about it. We know you all live in the same town. What are you guys right. waiting on? That's right. what they tell us. <laughs> so we've run into you around town numerous times, and you know, and I, and I, I saw you at the uh, Mercy Lounge a few months ago yes. and ran this idea by you thinking you would look at me and go fuck off get out of here but you didn't you said no it sounds good to me because i didn't know if you were sick of being asked about this record or not no it's it is what it is it's all good yeah so but basically I think we're gonna look at it as a celebratory thing because well, that's what it is you know it's it's not just chris and i but we found because we've got listeners from all over the world that are still in love with rock and roll music you know and they're coming out of the woodworks because we're doing this and kind of communicating and, and, and making a community out of it with us and you know you've got a lot of fans out there man and a lot of people it's not just chris and i a lot of people love this album so well this I'm, I'm actually getting ready to uh my band's been rehearsing, and we're actually getting ready. I, I, my intentions were to start earlier in the year, but unfortunately, I've been so busy doing acoustic shows for my acoustic record right. that I haven't been able to start. But we're starting in uh, November 20th and 21st in Wisconsin, awesome. and we're doing the Motley 94 record in its entirety it's with awesome. a couple of extra bonus tracks. So right it's going cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, then this is good timing then for this, yes. for this talk. So basically the, the birth of this album goes basically to the very beginning of your time working with these guys because you worked out some of the early stuff in your audition basically, right? Kind of. Um, to be honest with you, I wasn't... It, it's really weird. Like the guy, Even the guys in Motley laughed about it, but I knew about Motley Crue. Obviously, you'd have to be brain dead to not know who Motley Crue yeah, was. Right. Uh, I was familiar with the songs they had on MTV and shit like that, but I wasn't like a huge fan right. of. A, it's, it wasn't just Motley; it was just the '80s. Mm-hmm. Kind of went over my head or under me, whatever you know. Um, I have an iPod with 
probably 15 or 16,000 songs on it. And my iPod is basically Led Zeppelin's entire catalog. Deep right. Purple, entire catalog, including bootlegs, uh, Aerosmith, Queen, Bad Company, Humble Pie, like Grand Funk, like all these 70s, 70s. bands that I grew up I grew up listening to. And sure. So I was more of a fan of that. Even when I was in the band, like, you know, you could sit and pick any one of the songs and I'll tell you, like, Oh, that was a Zeppelin influence or a yeah. Sabbath influence yeah. or yeah, whatever. And we're going to get to that when you we know, go to the track. So yeah. when I went down, it, 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 it was very weird. Like, the guys did an interview in uh, Spin Magazine. They interviewed Nikki, and, you know, they always ask, like, oh, what are you listening to now? And one of the bands that he was really turned on by was The Scream. Right, and right on. It, it was so innocent and and uh, random like I just called him we were on tour somebody handed me the magazine and I'm like oh shit Nikki Six loves our band right on. you know so I came home and it was the last show of that leg of the tour and I just kind of called to say hey man thanks for the plug right. and when I called it was weird they were trying to find me <laughs> And I just wanted to call them and say thanks for the right. plug. And right. it wound up being this weird thing. That's serendipity, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had a show. It was the last leg of that tour. It was uh, February. It was actually Valentine's Day of 1992. And I called. I was getting ready to go leave to go do the show somewhere in Orange County, California. And uh, I called to say thanks. And I left my name and number. And as I was walking out the door to go do my sound check, Nikki Six called and said, hey, dude, Vince isn't in the band anymore. We'd love to have you come down and audition. And I was like, well, okay, that, that's kind of our... Was that right. public knowledge at the yeah. time? No. No? They didn't. So you're like... So you're like, don't tell nobody. Yeah. Well, because of all the legal aspects of me already having a record deal and then being tied to Electra and all this other shit, yeah. they told me that I couldn't say anything to anybody. Right. So this was a Friday. I went down on Monday. And I got to be honest with you, like, I was kind of shitting myself. I'm like, I don't fucking know any of their songs. Right. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I know them, like what I've seen on yeah, MTV. Yeah, but you weren't a diehard fan. I wasn't a diehard fan, yeah. and, and I don't mean any disrespect. No, not at all. I just didn't know any of their material. But you yeah. couldn't go in and know all the words. Yeah, so, the like, you know, I, I left and I did my show, and then, you know, I called Nikki on Saturday, and I'm like, hey, can you make sure you just have the lyrics there, and I'll kind of flub my way through it? I'll get through it. I'll figure it out. All right. So he goes, well, what do you want to audition? And I go, well... I know that you guys did uh, the Elvis Presley's jail. They did jail. Yeah, yeah. And I knew they did Helder Skelter. Sure. I'm a massive sure. Beatles fan. I knew that. Yeah. I knew they did Smoking in the Boys Room. I knew the original version by Brownville Station. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'll do those three and then whatever else, but just have lyrics there. Okay. So I went in. I did. I went Monday, I walked in, I was like, oh, hey, what's up, you know? Gonna... Was this like a rehearsal studio? Yeah, it was just a rehearsal studio in L.A., and I walked in, and I did those three songs, Helder, uh, Jailhouse Rock, and and uh, Smoking in the Boys Room. And then we did, like, Feel Good and, you know, a couple of other tunes, yeah. kind of halfway. But it was funny, like, the first song I did was... Uh, I think Helder Skelter, and I started singing, and I just started belting, and we got in, into like the first like yeah, you know whatever, yeah. and Tommy stopped, <laughs> he stopped, and I was freaking out because I'm like oh shit like what they, did I do they, what did I just I, fuck I, up? I fucked up something yeah. you know, and he goes we need to turn the PA down like his monitors yeah he goes. This guy <laughs> sings way louder than Vince. Like, he's just fucking belting, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, turned the PA down. I did a couple more songs. And, yeah, I wound up doing about four or five songs. So then they go, uh, can you come back tomorrow? 
So I'm like, yeah, okay, that's cool, whatever, you know. So I go back the next day, and uh, I think I did about five or six songs the first day. I went back the next day, and they had all their wives there, like Heather Locklear, Brandy Brandt, like their Emmy, and Mick was married right. to Emmy at the time. Yeah. And so I go in, and they're all sitting there over on the couches, and then there's a bunch of suits, like the manager, the lawyer, like all the shit. And I basically did the same thing again. And, you know, so we did that. And the manager and everybody was like, oh, you know, okay, that was cool. You know, thanks for coming by. You shook my hand. Here. And the lawyer comes over to me and goes, you were not here. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. You were here, but you weren't here. Right. So everybody leaves. And uh, then they then they go, uh, okay, rehearsal's over. And I'm like, well, fuck, you know, man, we're here. Like, let's play. You know, yeah. let's just jam. Let's fuck off. You know, let's have some fun. And I was just looking at whether or not it worked or not. Like, maybe I could write with these guys for the Screams next record in the yeah. future. And uh, so they're like, oh, okay, you know, it's cool, you know. So I was talking to Mick and... Mick and I were kind of noodling around, so I go, "Oh, can I, can I show you something on guitar?" And I grabbed his guitar and I'm noodling around, and all the guys were like, "You play guitar?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know." So <laughs> they set up a rig for me. I grabbed one of Mick's guitars, and I just kind of showed them this riff that I had, which was the opening riff for Hammer. Right on. And we started dicking around with that. And we wound up writing almost, I would probably say about 80% of the song right there. Wow. That night. Awesome. And then we started working on, they, they showed me Nikki or Mick had a, an acoustic guitar on the stand. And they started playing the opening uh, guitar riff for Misunderstood. Yeah. So we started dicking around with that, and, and it was just like the beginning, and I'm like, I kind of came up with a melody, and and uh, Nikki had lyrics, but they didn't really have a melody, and but they had the chords and the lyrics, right. but no real set melody. So we started working on Misunderstood, and uh, so we jammed, and we just, and then at one point we jammed, uh, um, there's an old Aerosmith, well, it's a it's Aerosmith cover. It's called uh, Reefer Headed Woman yeah. from Night in the Ruts. Right, great song. And, awesome. Yeah, we started jamming that, and, yeah. and Mick and I were just trading off solos, and, you know, so we, we did this for about another three or four hours, five hours, whatever, and uh, so Tommy got up and went to the bathroom. Nikki followed him into the bathroom. Mick kind of left and went to the bathroom. And then they came in and they sat on the drum riser and they go, Tommy looked at me and goes, dude, it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to figure this out. Like, welcome to the crew. You're the new fucking singer. And I'm like, oh, okay. So did you feel that like, chemistry but I got yourself, band. though, when you played with them? You know, honestly, it was so, it was so fucking easy. Right. And I have to be honest with you, writing that whole first record, yeah was easier than shit like we just sat in a room together and it was all these flubs and we'll go through the songs yeah, whatever yeah. but all these songs just kind of happened like somebody would come in with a riff like I came in with a riff the very opening riff to Hammered yeah. and it just kind of graduated into a song yeah. they had the riff for Misunderstood and it kind of graduated into yeah. a song but and there was other ones that e never even made the record there was a song called uh Ditch the bitch. That we, we we had no lyrics. Yeah. So we just kind of made a joke That's song out of it. it. Yeah. And then there was another one called Hell on High Heels. They used oh, they the title. Using that later, they yeah. used the title for a later song, but it's nothing like the oh, original okay. song. Like the music was different, very Zeppelin-esque, and yeah. And uh, you know, so we did this shit, but they they were just like, this is easy. We got another guy that's writing. Another guy. He's got a different. He's got a different vocal approach. 
yeah. uh, it sounds thicker, like da 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 da. So everybody was like really, really stoked about it. Yeah. So they told me like, you're the guy. You're yeah. the guy. You know. So I'm like, all right. But I was a little worried because I'm going, fuck, like, I don't know any of this. So I'm you like, doing this, though, you weren't expecting to get offered a job on the spot like that, I'm mm-hmm. sure. So it's because you were still in the scream Well, I was point. in the scream, and I just called them to thank them for the plug. Right? Next thing you know, you're being told and you're you're the next, I'm like, you're, you're the guy. And I'm like, how the fuck does this work? Like, I, I was just going to thank them, A, for the plug, and B, maybe right yeah. For the next screen, screen. Record. yeah, you know what you I mean. Weren't expecting a job, I wasn't expecting a job. Next thing you know, you're in well, Motley Crue. Well, I, I think I remember reading in the dirt. You, what was the, the good news, bad news thing that you gave your wife at the time? You well, said, yeah, they they were like, you you can't tell anybody. Yeah, and I'm like, can I tell my wife? And they're like, of course, you know. Yeah. So I called my wife and I'm like, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is I'm the new lead singer for Motley Crue. The bad news is I'm the new lead singer for Motley Crue. <laughs> you figured it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know the reputation. And, yeah. and, and we got divorced shortly after. Oh, anyway, yeah, figure it out. Yeah. The, the, pitfall, it. the pitfalls of the Motley Crue. The pitfalls Crow. of Motley Crue. <laughs> okay, so you guys end up starting. So you start writing immediately after yes. this, right? Yes. So... What, where do you end up, where do you do like the pre-production for the album at? We did it in L.A. In L.A.? We, we did, we would, we would actually get together for like two or three weeks at a time. We'd write three or four songs. Yeah. And then those guys have a very different work schedule than you or I. Like, um, like when I was in The Scream, we got a record deal. We literally rehearsed five or six days a week for a year. Yeah. No time off. They would they would work five or six days a week, five days a week, mm-hmm. and then we'd write three songs, go in the fourth week, demo them, and then they would go, okay, wow, that was really strenuous. So I need to go to Hawaii for like a week or two, <laughs> wow. and they, they would yeah. take time off, and then we would get back into rehearsal again, yeah. whatever, yeah, you know. But um, we basically did that for a year, yeah almost a year in LA right and then we sent Bob Rock all the demos that we did yeah and said is this something you want to work with yeah and he heard the demos and he's like yeah I think I can do this so was Bob Rock the choice to begin with yeah because they had worked with him with Feel Good Good and on the Primal Scream record right uh, uh, Decade so they were like we want to work with Bob so we had Bob come down and it was it was crazy like it, it was kind of funny because everybody thought that we were like, everybody was clean and sober. And uh, <laughs> the day that Bob came down, um, I remember the guy saying, we're going to have a meeting with Bob on Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I was calling Tommy and Nikki like that Saturday at like 11, 12 o'clock. I'm like, hey, what's up? No answer. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I drove to Tommy's house. And all these cars were in there, so I basically jumped the fence. I climbed the fence and went up to the door, and I walked in, and Tommy and Nikki had gone out the night before, and they were completely obliterated. <laughs> they, yeah. they went on a binge. They, yeah. they, they went out to dinner with the wives. The wives actually wound up getting mad at them because they were in the bathroom, and they were, you know, this yeah. and drinking. And, and, uh, and Bob Rock showed up. I got there probably 11 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Bob showed up probably at 2 or 3. And at that point, I had started drinking with him. So he showed up, and Tommy, Nikki, and I were obliterated. <laughs> and he called the manager. And he's like, oh, shit, He here called we go. the manager, and he's like, I really want to do this record. Yeah, but, but not like this. we got to fucking reel these guys in. They're out of their fucking minds. Like, so yeah. the, the whole clean and sober thing was not happening right. when we were doing that record at all. That's what I think. Because that's the, always yeah. the story. Is like these guys really clean themselves no. up to break all well, this record. You know, you, and I'm sure you've seen the footage. There's the, the black and white footage of you guys putting the album together. And like there's one point Nikki looks right at the counter. Anybody got any weed? And so it's like, I mean, they're obviously not no. clean and sober for this. No, and it, and it was funny because 
Nikki was Nikki. Nikki had a, at one point. He was like, I, I I can't drink. Like Nikki, Nikki, all those guys. Like they're at the point where at that time they were at the point where they would have have some wine with dinner, and then have a couple glasses of wine and go, okay, all right, I got through that. You know, give me a Jack Daniels, and then. You know, they'd have a Jack and Coke, yeah. and then it was like, bring the bottle, yeah. and then bring the bottle. Man, can we get somebody to get some Coke? Right, and then and it was it like, and up. then the Coke, and then it was like, and it was just like, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, and it was literally even during the recording. I mean, there was times where we took like, we took ten days or two weeks off for somebody to go into a rehab and get their shit together and reel them back in so they could get back yeah. into the studio and work again. It's crazy. Well, one thing I don't think I've heard in other interviews with you is like you know, everybody talks about it, how much the guys were enamored with you and your guitar playing and your range and everything and the power in your vocal cords and everything. What did you think of them as players? What, what did you think? It was great. I mean, yeah. look, at the end of the day, like, all I, all I know is any of the bass parts you hear on that record Nikki stepped up. Yeah. Mick stepped up. Yeah. yeah. And to me, like, of all the records that Motley's ever done, I think Tommy went. Oh Tommy didn't God. step up. He went above and beyond yeah, he what he had it. ever done and and anything he's done since. Yeah. That record to me is Tommy's fucking swan song. It really is. Drums. Yeah. Like, everybody showed up to the table. And uh, even, even myself, like, like, I have to kind of... I'm getting ready to go do all this material right. live. And I have to kind of... That's why I'm, I'm, like, quitting smoking. I'm starting to get on the treadmill. I'm dieting. Like, I want to I wanna be in shape enough to be able to do this shit live four or five, six nights a week. Yeah. And when we did this, like, Bob was very cool with me. Like, he'd have me sing for maybe an hour and a half or two hours and then stop. Okay, go go home. Yeah. And then, you know, I did that for like a week or so and then it was three hours. Yeah. And then it was four hours. And then it was six hours. And then it was eight hours. Right. He and by the time, yeah, he, he built my... You know, listen, singing, your vocal cords is nothing more than a muscle. It's right. like working out. You have to exercise. You, you can't go right up and start bench pressing 400 pounds. You have to start at 100, yeah. work that a week or so, go to 125, and, and gradually work it up. So that's what he did with me. And by the time we were doing, the last song I sang was Baby Kills, I think. Yeah. And I, I at that point, I was singing like 11 hours a day. Wow. You know what I mean? So I was fucking ready. Yeah. The, the problem was the way those guys work. Yeah. We would work three weeks, and then we would take a week or two off, and yeah. then I... It's like nothing, back. and then I'd have to work my way back up again. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's different than picking a guitar up, you know? Yeah, when we got yeah. done doing the record, uh, between the time we finished the record and the time we started rehearsing to go on tour, there was like a five-month window where I didn't sing, really wow. sing. So I, I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm trying to gradually work my way yeah. up into that shape that I yeah, was in. Yeah, because you're having to recreate you from 20 years ago. Yeah, and I'm, look, at the end of the day, I was, it was 20 years ago. 20 years I'm 55 ago. now, so it was like I was 33, 34 years old when we did that record. Right. Um, you know, so I have to work my way back in as a singer, as a performer. I have to be able to deliver a good show, but right. still be able to deliver the goods. Yeah. So, so it's a bit nerve-wracking. It is. I'm a little nervous about it. If yeah. I, I may have to change melodies a little bit, yeah. whatever. But at the end of the day, it'll be in tune. It'll be right. good. The vocals. Yeah. I'm not using any backing tapes or yeah. whatever. It's just a band going out. And playing the songs raw, live. Well, and I, I, I will say it was meant to be. Musically, you're in good hands, at least guitar-wise, because we know Jeremy, and we know what that guy can well, do. Yeah. How you doing, brother? Good. Um, we're doing, we're doing. Uh, I have two guitar players, so I'm going to front most of the time. Yeah. And then I'm going to play guitar when I need to play guitar. Right. 
So at times there will be three guitar players there. My son's playing drums for me. He's a great drummer. Yeah, he he's is. been kicking ass. We he, saw him at the Mercy show. Yeah, yeah. he's. And that was even that wasn't even a great show uh, because he me, was man. he was he was just figuring yeah. shit out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now he's got now he's got it, and and we're rehearsing and we're going over everything over and over and over again. So by the time we get out November twentieth or twenty first. Yeah. Um, I told the guys there's no room for growth. Right. When we go out, first show, it's got to be fucking on the mark. It's right. got to be yeah. thick and fat, and it's got to be what we did. Like, I, it doesn't need to sound exactly because there was a lot of shit going on there, yeah. and I'm not using tapes. I'm not going to do it. So yeah. I'm happy to hear that. We're going to yeah. go out, and we're going to do it the best that we can, you know, you may hear five or six harmony vocals on the record. There may be three when we do it live. Yeah, right. but it's real. But I, I think it's at the real, end of the yeah. day, the fans that are into that record never got to see it. Yeah, it's been twenty years removed. So I think if we if we just deliver to a degree, yeah, um, if we deliver it ninety five percent or ninety percent. I think the fans will be happy. You well, I mean? we heard a couple of the tracks Can at the you Mercy text show. Me and tell them that I'm doing an interview. Yeah, yeah, we heard a couple of the tracks at the uh, Mercy show because you broke out a couple things for that. And I know you may not be as tight as you'd like it, but we were blown away by it. I mean, we were really impressed with it. And, I, and 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 to be honest with you, like the hardest part, the thing that I was worried about wasn't Jeremy or. Now I have another guitar player who's amazing, a guy named Josh, who also plays with Eastside Gamblers. Oh, he's a great player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I got yeah. Josh and Jeremy on guitar. Yeah. I'm playing guitar when I need to play, just holding down the fort. I got Topher, same bass player, yeah. and then my son. But the hardest thing that was there, I was just, I was more worried about my son being able to cop those Tommy parts. They're hard parts, And, yeah. you know, again, it's not 100%, but I'll tell you what, dude. He's, I'm, I'm fucking proud of my kid. Oh, he's like, a talented he's, kid. He's, he's not doing the. He's, he's being Ian. Right. He's not right. being Tommy. He's being Ian. But he's fucking nailing the shit, dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's right there. He's, he's pushing everything, and it sounds great. Like I've been at rehearsal, I'm blown away at how much homework they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're they're nailing it. It's, well, it's been. Good. And we talked to Jeremy. He takes it very seriously. He does. Yeah. Very he's, seriously. Yeah. He's, I talked to him actually the other he's day. He's a bitch. <laughs> well, I told him the other day we, we were. Love gonna, him though. We were going to talk. We to love him. him. He has good hair. Yeah. We told him the other day we were doing. He was like, I worked my ass off getting that no, stuff ready. No, Jeremy. And it was funny because one of the songs that I didn't think that I would be able to do. Yeah. Was Welcome to the Numb because right. of the tunings. Yeah. And Jeremy goes. Jeremy said, "You know what?" I love a challenge. Yeah, Let me figure this out. And he went back. He he went home, and he listened to the song, and he's got a home studio, and he sat down and he figured out all the parts to the song, and said, "We have three guitar players. We can do this." Yeah. Hell yeah. And he he he's tuned in an odd tuning. And then Josh and I are covering all the rest of the parts. Right. And it works. That's great. It oh, yeah. fucking sounds awesome. I can't awesome. wait to hear it. So I'm stoked. That guy, I'm pretty huh? stoked. Leave it to Jeremy to figure it out. Okay, so you you do all the pre-production in like a rehearsal facility. You get all yes. the songs together. Bob Rock's on board. Where do you? I know it's recorded at A and M and also at Little Mountain. Where where do you start recording? In L A. Little Mountain. Little Mountain in Vancouver. Yes. Okay, well, so I wanted to ask you this, because when I was thinking about talking to you, I was like, you know, The Scream did have some success. Yes. But you went to a complete different level with this album. Yes. So you go from The Scream, which has moderate success, to recording with arguably the biggest rock producer at the time and one of the biggest bands in the, on the planet. Was this intimidating for you at the time? Um, I wasn't intimidated by the guys because at the point that by the time we started recording the record, I'd been in the band for like nine months. Right. So we were like bros. Yeah. It was it was all good. Right. And 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 in their uh, behalf, they didn't want to do the record 
right away. Right. We could have probably done the record sooner, but they wanted to hang with me, and 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 I'm just telling you what they told me. Sure. I I I've been around Vince many many times, and he's been nothing but cordial to me. Right. But they wanted to make sure that I didn't have an ego. Right. I wasn't an asshole. Whatever. So we we were doing shit like we'd rehearse for three weeks, go record for a week, take a couple weeks off. You know, some of the guys would go on vacation, or we all bought Harleys, and we would go do, like, a bike run and go away for, like, five days and just go up the coast of California and go camping and do all this different shit. Yeah. They just wanted to make sure that I was somebody that they could get along with. Sure. Yeah. I suppose after now, what they just been through. But 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 this is not my opinion. Mm-hmm. Let's make this clear. This is not John Karabi's opinion. This is just what they told me. The Vince had been very difficult to work with or live with in a tour bus in a tour setting. Yeah. yeah. So they wanted to make sure that I wasn't coming into this thing with a lot of baggage. And a lot of I gotta have this, I gotta have that, and fuck you, and fuck it, and whatever. Yeah, because yeah, if they were gonna deal with that, they might as well just stick with me. They wanted to make sure it was a family, family like a bro yeah. thing, you know right what I mean? Yeah. So we took our time. They sent the demos to Bob. Bob loved them, and we moved up to. Uh, it was still '92. I joined in February. We went. We went in uh, October or November of '92. Like yeah. so. Uh, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Probably seven months later, yeah, we started. We went up. We had twenty-five or twenty-three songs, yeah, and we went up and we started working with Bob. Okay, and we started all the basic tracks, all the drum tracks. Everything was laid down in Little Mountain, mm-hmm. and then obviously we were all away from home. I had a fam. We all had families, so we said to Bob, "All right, here's the deal. We'll go up. We'll start. So you can be near your family in Vancouver. Right. We'll start the record here, but at some point we want to go back to L.A. Sure. So we can ours. be near our family yeah. and finish this thing. Yeah. In L.A. And that's right what we did. Okay. That's fair. And what was Bob like to work with? You know what? Bob is maddening, but I fucking love. Him. I would work with Bob. Yesterday, yeah, he is stupidly musical, and but he's got this way of making you like getting the best out of people, like without being a dick about it. But he's a dick, but he's not. He like, can deliver I, it a gentlemanly. No, way. but it's <laughs> weird. Like Bob just has this way of, uh, like I would do a vocal, and uh, he would hit the button. He would go, "So, crab, what do you think?" And I go, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And he's like, well, okay. <laughs> if you're good with it, okay. Oh, oh, passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah passive aggressive thing. And I'd be like, well, I guess I'll do it again. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to fucking. Yeah. And, but it was, he did it with all of us. Yeah. He did it with Mick. He did it with Nikki. He did it with Tommy. Well, that's smart. He did it with right. me. And at the end of the day, like, I can't help but listen to, it's still 20 years yeah. later I listen to that record and oh, I go yeah. none of us sang or played the way we played on that fucking record he got the best out of us yeah. and I'm okay with it like you can be that maddening guy that fucking guy that drives me nuts but if you get the best out of me I'm okay with it well, yeah, I'm yeah. all good That's the I point. work with Bob again in a heartbeat cool so it's kind of the way like you talk to your kid when they're little and say you know, yes. uh, you know, you know, that's you did pretty good on your homework, but you know, I, I believe you could do it no, better. And I still do it. It, it, Listen, I still do it with my son, yeah, with right now, yeah, yeah. when so we go to rehearsal, pretty good. my kid's like, oh, dude, we kicked ass. I'm like, that's all right, all right, no, <laughs> listen, at the end of the day, when we go out and we do the show, I don't want it to be good, yeah, I want this shit to be great, yeah, I want this to be great. Anything I do. Sure. Of course. I don't want it to be good. I want it to be fucking great. And they're as great as you, okay. you feel like you, you did. Ball I, I, know you I hit the ball right back. Yeah. You're saying good? 
I'm hitting it back and I'm going, I want it to be great. Right. Now, you figure it out. Right. And is Ian do you responding want to be the, like you did the box? No, yeah. yeah. Do you want to be the greatest fucking, do you want to be one of the greatest drummers ever? Listen, John Bonham, Tommy Lee, Tommy Aldridge, oh. Neil Peart, all these guys didn't get by being good. Sure. Right. They got by being great. great. Do you want to be listed with those guys? Or do you want to be somebody that somebody that's a pimple on their ass? Right. It's that simple. Yeah. And you leave it up to them. You know? And, yeah. and if they got that your drive choice. inside of yeah. them, your they're choice. gonna they're gonna well, step and, up you know, maybe that's you know, and besides being an amazing knob twiddler, and I'm not saying a gay reference, that's what makes Bob that maybe what makes Bob Rock such a great producer. Is he can do it. And he's not even being demanding. No, he's not. But he's just giving you that but little nudge. He's just giving you that you. little. He's giving you, and he did it with all of us. Again, he yeah. did it with all of us. Like he would go. But listen, at the end of the day, Tommy did twenty tracks for Hooligans Holiday. Jesus. And we had Pro Tools at the time, a very rough form of it. Bob's like, I think I can put a track together. <laughs> I think I can put a track together for this song. That's all I had to say. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to try it one more time, and I don't want you to think. I just want you to fucking go for it. And I can honestly tell you that the track that is on our record mm -hmm. for Hooligan's Holiday is the track where Tommy went, I'm going for it. Yeah. I'm just fucking going for it. And he played, and he laid the drum track down, and at the end, Bob Rock put his finger on the on the button, and he went, that is the greatest fucking drum track I've ever heard in my fucking life. Wow. Nice. Because he, he, he kind of pushed you in a subtle way to make you want to give him sure. more. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. Well, that, that's it was genius. Awesome. I suppose once the science of it's done, you've, got it, you've well, yeah. got it in your head so many times scientifically what to do. And it's like, okay, now you know what you're doing. Use your now, heart. Yeah, now put your heart now into let, it. Let it rip. Yeah. Let it rip. I don't give a shit. Like, vocally, if you just scream fuck for uh, all the ad-libs, whatever you're feeling, just let it rip and go for it. Yeah. And there's some things in there that are a little odd to me. Like, I listen to them, I go, am I out of key there? I... But it works. It yeah. works in those parts. And Bob, Bob and, and, like, Tommy, Nikki, Mick, me, all of us, he worked it to the point where he subtly said, hey, man, you know what? I'm good. If you yeah. think that's the greatest fucking bass track ever, I'm good. <laughs> With anybody with any heart and fire and drive, yeah, you're like, now, no, you show you. Dude, fuck you. I can <laughs> yeah, do that better. I can do, I can better. do it better. Yeah. I love Bob Rock. And and the team of Bob and Randy Staub. Oh, yeah. The engineer. Razorblade Randy. Dude, yeah. forget about it. Yeah. Genius. Genius Incorporated. Cool. I'm sorry. And we're going to get into Bob Rock, I love you. Fuck you, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the highest praise you can get. Um, okay, so let's go track by track here. All right. Okay, power to the music. And in my opinion, um, 
and a statement. There was a real departure lyrically on this album on a number of songs, but this song does fit in well with the old school stuff because, like, you know, basically, fuck you, I'm not going to turn my music down. But it's, uh, but it's also an evolutionary step because what they did with Primal Scream on Decade of Decadence, this song sounds like the continuation of what they started with that song. Well, at, lyrically, at the end of the day, you got to remember at that point... Uh, D. Snyder and all these people were doing the PMRC bullshit earrings. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the kids from Columbine, they were blaming Marilyn Manson, they were blaming all these fucking people for all this bullshit. And, um, you know, America as a whole, Congress and, and Senate, and they were trying to put stickers on shit and the guns, and you know. And, um, there was a few things that were happening, which was that, and then there was a, uh, there was a, I don't know if it was Muslim or Buddhist, or there was some sort of temple that Nikki had read about in Malibu, and they had a wrought iron fence around the temple, uh-huh. and in the temple, in, in the wrought iron fencing, they had the original version of a swastika. Really? Now, if you go back and you look at symbols and all this other shit, the swastika... It had a different meaning. It had a totally different yeah. meaning. And basically, we... So, what happened is, a lot of people in Malibu, whatever, saw these swastikas on this fucking Buddhist temple. And they started getting pissed about it, and they were throwing rocks through the windows, and they were doing all shit. And and we were like, man, you can't fucking listen. Do your fucking homework. Right. Yeah. Do your homework before you start judging people. Right. And so the whole power to the music thing. If you listen to the lyrics, it's about the PMRC judging bands on their lyrical content. It was about judging a book by its cover. Not, not about the content, about the cover. And so Nikki and I were just like, okay, you know what? Fuck. And, and I'll, I'll, to be honest with you, when we went on tour, when we used to do Power of the Music, we used to have these things, these lights, they're called gobos. Yeah. And they had these swirling, and we had the original swastikas. That's a, that's a ballsy move. It's a ballsy fucking move. <laughs> but... We went and we, we went to Dallas, and we played in Dallas, and I think it was the Eagle, the radio station in, in Dallas, and we played there. And then a couple days later, they banned us. They they said we're never going to play Motley Crue because you had swastikas playing on yeah. on, on on you know on they the to the conclusion. And we're like, so I got on the radio with the and I'm going. That's the fucking point. Right. Yeah. That's the fucking point. Like, you, you're not getting the point. You obviously didn't read, or you're not listening to the lyrics, and you're not listening to the meaning of the fucking song. And we're just saying the swastika, what Hitler did, was reversed it right. and used it for his thing. But the original meaning of the swastika has a completely different fucking meaning. And you're judging a book by its cover, not by the content. And you're wrong. Right. You're wrong. I'm not wrong. Yeah. I've got it swirling on the back of the stage, but if you listen to the lyrics and what I'm trying to portray, you're being exactly the person that I'm writing this song about. Right. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. So we were like, all right, fuck you. Don't play our songs. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know, and we had more than, and it was funny because they're like, you guys are racist. I'm like, okay, really? And I was arguing with the guy on the fucking radio. I'm going, our fucking opening act is King's X. Yeah. <laughs> with a black lead we singer. We have a fucking eh? black lead singer. <laughs> Great band. <laughs> An amazing band. Yeah. Now, one of the others, other things that they were pissed about is that our opening song right before we went on stage was a song by a band called Clawfinger out of uh, I think they're from Sweden or Norway or something like that so 
like two songs into our fucking tour, yeah. Doug Pinnock comes up to us, black, yeah, and he goes, "Dude, we're smoking a joint. We're backstage." <laughs> and he's like, "Dude, you gotta listen to this fucking song." And he plays us a song called "Nigger" by a band called Clawfinger. <laughs> and he's like, "Greatest song ever." The meaning wasn't "nigger, fuck you." Yeah. It was ni- like, like there was there was a meaning there yeah. that was positive, not negative, right. positive. So we got swastikas, and our opening song before we go on is a song called "Nigger," and everybody's <laughs> like, "You guys are a bunch of racists." Oh wow! And I'm like. I'm pretty sure if we were racist, we wouldn't have a band with a black fucking lead singer. Probably not. Okay. Yeah, I love this wrong. fucking band. Tommy and I used to go out almost daily. Yeah. Like, the minute they started their set, Tommy and I would go out and put hoodies on and sunglasses and, watch and go out and sit on the lawn yeah. and smoke weed with the fans yeah. and watch fucking King's oh, X play their set. they're fucking incredible. They're fucking amazing. To yeah. this day, they're awesome. So, yeah. fuck you and your theory. Yeah. Like, your theory is so off base of what we were trying to say. Right. It's ridiculous. Okay. I want to get to the track, too, Uncle Jack, which you've talked about in interviews before. Great song. This might be the darkest Motley Crue song ever written because of the subject matter. Right. Because it deals with child molestation, which is about as dark as you could possibly get. Right. And, um, fuck it, my parents, my mom doesn't listen to this show. I was a victim as a child. Right. This song meant a lot to me as a kid. Right. Because it's basically said everything that I wanted to say. And, and, and it's weird because, like yourself... It's probably something you've never talked about. Only as an adult. Well, yeah. There's yeah. A, and, and there was a Facebook video a month ago of this dude with these cards yeah. doing all the shit. And it was something that happened to him when he was like 11 years old. He's probably 50 now. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's something that you just don't talk about until you're comfortable. Right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it was my mother's brother that molested all of my brothers and sisters. I caught them. I literally walked downstairs and and saw my sister sucking my uncle's dick. Oh, God. And I was like, okay. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, 12 years old. Yeah. Now, my brother, who I adore, um, was probably molested and sodomized when he was five. Damn. Okay. So... I kind of got all the scoop, and then, you know, my parents divorced, I was living with my dad, and I eventually told my dad, and all this shit happened, whatever, and, but it's something that, uh, that happened, we went through it, years later I joined Motley, I never heard from, and it was truly my, I wanted to call it the Ballad of Jack Hayes, yeah. which was my uncle's name. Yeah. And the legal department of our record label said, don't do nah, I don't think you can do <laughs> yeah. that. Right. So we called it Uncle Jack. Yeah. Everybody thought it was about Jack Daniels. Nope, it's not that. Right. While we were doing the record, my mom called me while I was in Vancouver and told me that my uncle had gotten out of prison, went and lived with a woman, uh, rented a room from her. She had two little boys. He moved in and for some reason back then, the whole background uh, checks and yeah. it wasn't in play then. Right. right. He moves into this house. He rents a house. She winds up getting killed in a car accident. He was watching her kids during the day while she was at work. He wound up sodomizing and molesting these two little boys and went back to prison. And my mom told me about it. And we had the music and we had a melody, but we didn't have a topic. Yeah. So I had talked to my mom the night before. We had already started recording the record. And I went, I got this idea. And we were in the van going from the hotel to the studio. Yeah. And I told Nikki and Tommy and Mick what my mom had told me the night before. And I go, I want 
I want to write about this. Like, this is whatever. This is something that I think there's probably a lot of people out there that have been in, you know, that have been touched by this that are afraid to talk about it. So we wrote the song, and then when we actually did the record, we actually put that song out and and told the record labels or, or radio stations, if you want to play this song, any royalties generated by this song, we will donate to right. uh, some sort of a fund or uh, child support or abuse or whatever. Yeah. And we were serious about it. Like, there was another thing that happened with uh, a woman in Northern California whose kid was molested. They went to court, and then I, apparently the woman... Uh, on the way into court, like, this was in 93, whatever, uh, she shot and killed the fucking guy that uh, molested her kid on the way into court. And then they put her on trial for murder. And Nikki donated, we, as a band, we donated like $25,000 to her her, uh, legal fees. It's not right. Uh, Like, you know, taking shit into your own hands is not right, but we all understood it as parents and as as fathers and, you know, and we're like, you know what? I get this. Like, I would fucking kill somebody that fucked with my kid. And so we got it. So that's what Uncle Jack was all about. So when you brought it up to the other guys, oh, the they band, were totally re- they were on When I told Nikki about it, it was like, pen paper it. bitches, let's yeah. do this. Well, it's, and it, we were, uh, yeah. like I said, we were originally going to call it the Ballad of Jack Hayes. Yeah. Which but the legal, great, what, that was his name. Great. That was my uncle's name. Fuck it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, fuck Print. him. Whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, he's dead now. He can't sue me. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. But the legal department said, He's still alive. He's in prison. I don't think this is a good idea. So we changed it from the Ballad of Jack Hayes to Uncle Jack. And you have the song there. Wow, yeah. Have you had a lot of people come up to you over the years and say, you know, that song really has meant something to me? No, but you know what? Like the first, when we did that tour, my, my sister lived in Philadelphia and she had some friends in like North Carolina. And I just remember doing uh, we started doing Uncle Jack and I did a little speech about it about hey if this is happening to you there's numbers you can call blah 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 and we started the song and I played the song and my sister had come down and I got her tickets and passes and she was right in the front row and I was sitting here playing and I just happened to look over and she was one of the victims yeah And I just remember looking down, and she was just hysterically crying, like, thank you so much for doing this for us. Like, us, and when I say us, I'm talking about you and her and my brother and my other sister and and all these kids that are involved in this thing. Like, she was physically moved by the fact that I said, fuck this yeah. I'm taking a stance but you know what it wasn't just me it was all the guys in Motley we like Mick was a father he has two kids yeah. Nikki had a couple kids yeah. Tommy at that point didn't have any children but he got he it. got the sentiment he, he got the sentiment and we were like we're fucking laying this down yeah and this is something that is a lot more uh, prevalent and Oh, it's it's the, it's, it's the ugly it's, dark secret it's the in every ugly, family. It's the ugly dark secret in every fucking family. Yeah, there's there's that shady uncle or that stepfather yeah. or that fuck up, whatever. Whether it's a cousin or a babysitter, whatever. Yeah, it's all. It's a lot more prevalent than people want to admit. Oh, totally. Right. And we wrote a song about it yeah. twenty fucking years ago. Well, and I'm yeah. like, and, and and that song, I've been doing that. Well, you saw us when we did Mercy. I'm like, we got to do this song because that song to me is still way beyond prevalent. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, the the rant in the middle of it where you're basically saying what you'd like to do. I was like, you know, know, and And that was another Bob Rock thing. And it's a violent thing, but it was just like, it was therapeutic for me to listen to. And it was very therapeutic for me. Like, I couldn't kind of. Because it was my family yeah. and my, like, 
I couldn't totally open up. And that was another thing. Bob, like, just put his finger on the button and he goes, really? Is that the best you got? Like, this this happened to your family. Right. Is that the best you got? He goes, dude, this is your fucking life. Like, let her rip, buddy. Yeah. Nice. Let her rip. And I'm like, I'm going to cut your fucking throat. Yeah. And I was fucking oh, screaming. And it, it took me a couple, uh, you know, to just put the wall down and fucking let it go. As you know, yeah. if it's happened to you, there's there's always a wall. Oh, always. And yeah. you gotta you gotta kind of let it go. Yeah. And you gotta go into a room with somebody and just kind of, whether it's crying or being angry or batting on a chair yeah, a or moments. breaking shit. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think. I've had a few people go, dude, fuck, Uncle Jack means, yeah, it means a lot to me. We're only on song two. Yeah, I know. Like an hour and a half. All right, I'm sorry. It's all good. Extra long episode. No, it's all good. Okay, so we're going to get to track three, which was the first single from the album. choice for the first single with Hooligans Holiday because it's 5 minutes 51 seconds a pretty long song to have for the first single of the album. I don't think we had any song, well Love Shine I think and right. Poison Apples but I think everything else was like over Longer. 5 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I just I always remember Hooligans Holiday because I heard it on the radio and it was at the time where you know people were making a big deal about you know oh it's Motley Crue but it's not Motley Crue it don't have Vince it's got this other right, guy right, right, right. and you know and I was a fan of Motley Crue you know, right. before 1994. But when I heard that song on the radio, I did not give a shit that Vince Neil wasn't in the band anymore because that song just cooked, you know? And it's like, you know, there. I remember, I think kids that were a little bit older than me, you know, were really up in arms about the fact that Vince Neil was out of the band. But I'd always say, man, and I get listen it. to that song, you know? Who the fuck cares if Vince Neil's out of the band? Listen to that tune, you know? And, and to me... Again, you know, I say this is one of the most underrated albums of all time. I ran my ass out the day it came out, and I bought that CD and loved it. And there was a lot of people that wouldn't go get it just because of that fact. But Hooligans Holiday, it was a kick-ass introduction and, to and, the and, new and, and it's funny. it's funny because when we were trying to figure out what the first single was going to be, we had, uh, if you remember, KNAC. Yeah, sure. We did a contest because we couldn't figure it out. We were like, fuck, like, do we want to do Misunderstood? Do we want to do Hooligans? Do we want to do Uncle Jack? Like, we couldn't figure it out. So what we did is we had, like, 50... We did a thing on KNAC, and we had, like, 50 fans come to the studio... And we gave them a sheet with all the songs, and we let them listen to the the whole record. Like a private listening, huh? Private listening. Nice. And we had them listen to the record, and we had them vote on what their favorite song was on the whole record. Yeah. And I think Hooligan's Holiday got, like, one other vote than the next... Pretty evenly split. It was pretty yeah. evenly split. Yeah. Like some people were like misunderstood. Some people like Love Shine. Some people like Uncle Jack. And it, so it was all over the place. Right. So we basically let the fans pick. Yeah. And the one that had the most, and it was only by like two or three votes. Yeah. Was Hooligans Holiday. Holy shit, and that's only two and a half songs into the album. I love Albums Unleashed. Me too, man. It was, uh, you know, that's just part one, guys. Next week, we're going to have the whole rest of the album. We had to, we wanted to delay yeah. the, 
lay the groundwork of how John got into the band, and it's, it, a it's all story, and it's all pertinent to how the sure. album got made. Because the album, the the creation of the album, ramps up with the, the discovery audition. of and audition of John Karabi. So it's all it all comes together like that. And if you find yourself sitting at home right now listening to this, going, "Holy shit, this is amazing! This is amazing! I love it!" What you need to do is go to www.decibelgeek.com. And you're going to find an Amazon link there. And once you click on that link, you go to Amazon, you're going to buy the Motley Crue 1994 self-titled album, and you're going to have it in your own collection. What you're doing by going through Decibel Geek is you're going to, you're going to give us a little kickback here on the show, and it's going to help us out, you know, moderately, but it does help out. So enough of you, if you don't have this album, go get it. And if you're going to do it, do it that way so you can help us out. While you're at DecibelGeek.com, there's a lot of great writers writing some awesome stuff. Hell, Rich Dillon, he's up in Toronto. You know beautiful women are attracted to the Meister. And I see pictures on (laughs) Facebook of him hanging out with Doral Pesh on a tour bus. And Vixen. So yeah, so next week, boy, we got a lot more music to get to with John. Yeah, we do. I mean, like you said, we only we this is just the the chip, just a, the tip and the chip of the off the iceberg. Yeah, right here. So we'll see you guys in seven days. Whew, can't wait. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.